No, I have a feeling that once I randomly say something out of, uh, you know, because sometimes my mouth works faster than my brain does, that will end up down a rabbit hole that I didn't intend anyhow. So, Well, that's the whole point. Welcome to the GM's Corner, the Brewster Baseball Association podcast where we put general managers on the hot seat and try to steal all of their secrets so that I can win more often. I am Ron Collins, the general manager of the Yellow Springs Nine, and I give my guest today five stars. That's right, gentlemen. I am sitting down with shoeless Doug Olmsted, GM of the California Crusaders. Welcome, Doug. Thank you so much for taking your time here today. I'm extremely glad to have the opportunity to finally get you in the GM's corner. Well, I'm very humbled to be here just because I probably have absolutely nothing valuable for anyone else, but I think I'm going to have fun, and I hope you do too, Ron. Well, I'm certain that I will have fun, and I think that the fact that you think that you have nothing of value to provide means that um, means that you'll be one of the best guests of all time, <laughs> just like all of the other guests are some of the best guests of all time. Of course, of course. I'll be right <laughs> up there with all of them. Well, let me start off, um, uh, maybe give you a bit of an introduction to the league, some of the folks who are new in the league, etc. cetera. Um, you, you came in on the coattails of Ted Schmidt and um, maybe talked for a little bit uh, about I don't know, how did you find uh, Out of the Park and the Brewster and what's your overall history with the game? Sure. So when it came to Out of the Park Baseball, I'd actually seen it on on Steam for several years, to be honest. And I kept having it pop up because it was similar to games that I'd played. But every time I'd even take a look at it, I thought, man, that, that game is way too... Way too nerdy for me, too many spreadsheets. I love baseball, but ah, man, I just don't think I can do it. And finally, beginning of actually OT, OTP 20, um, the second or first day it came out, I just thought, what the heck? I was bored. I ended up buying it and I fell in love with it. So, really, my time frame with OTP is really just one real world year, you know, which is minuscule compared to many people in this league, which is probably why I feel so, like I said, I'm humbled to be on here because I just feel my one real world year in OTP just doesn't stack up. Um, but then well, I, you've, you got know, a, I you've got quite a background in in baseball as it is, though, right? I mean, you're you're not a a neophyte baseball person at all, right? All right. I mean, I grew up. I, my dad was a baseball coach growing up. I played baseball all the way up through college. Um, I never, I really, really never gave it up because I played a little bit amateur ball and then, you know, fell into the stupid softball, um, beer league softball, which was just not as fun because it just didn't bring the competitiveness that I liked. But then I ended up having kids of my own and ended up coaching them. And I've been coaching for the last about 15 years. Um, I guess I coached a little before I coached my own kids. So I've been coaching myself, uh, baseball, baseball, just in my blood. It was always in my blood. So. When you, were, um, when you were playing, what position were you playing? Um, I played uh, mostly on the left side of the infield, so I played a lot of third. In in college, I played short, and then I pitched. So those were kind of I, – I kind of wish I would have played outfield sometimes just because I think maybe I could have gone 
farther. Maybe that's just me wishful thinking, but <laughs> I was a, I was a decent fielder, you know, but I just felt like, you know, I could have maybe focused more on hitting if I would have played in the outfield, but yeah. whatever. But the water is where bridge. it's at. I was a second baseman shortstop oh, all the way through I'm, high school nice. and, and a little bit into uh, amateur college stuff, but I, I didn't go nearly as far as, as you went. And definitely infielders are where all the intelligent people are at. You know? Oh, of course. I can only imagine what our signs back and forth would have been at short and second between you and I. You know, <laughs> who's going to cover the bag and all that good stuff. would have been great. There you go. And then 16 other signs just to basically oh, yeah. blow shit. <laughs> oh, of course, just in case if there was a Ron Collins in the other dugout that was keeping track of all our signs, we'd want to mess them up. There you go, and, and pounding on the garbage cans and all that other good stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, how old are your kids? You say you're coaching them. What what uh, leagues are sure. you coaching them in? So my oldest is a 15-year-old, um, and then I have a, another uh, 12-year-old son who's going to be 13, and then I have an 8-year-old daughter. So I've been coaching I – was, I was coaching, actually, Babe Ruth baseball before – I was able to coach my oldest son, and then when he got to be, you know, old enough where I could coach his teams, I basically coached every every single team he had up until two years ago when they moved to hired coaches, and then of course I moved on to my middle son. So that's pretty we, cool. Yeah, but we do all we're the nerds. We do all the travel baseball stuff. So we travel not only in North Dakota but all over. Well, at least the upper Midwest. And that's uh, that's got to be a lot of time. What do you what do you do? How do you work that into your work life and all that stuff? <laughs> well, I've been blessed, you know, with uh, how that's all kind of managed with the jobs I've had um, to take time off. And really, f- for me, that and thankfully with my wife too, we've kind of made it where baseball and the travel has become kind of our vacation and most of our social life. Because in in North Dakota, you have you know, you really have three months of of weather where you can go pretty hardcore with baseball, and and we make the most of it. But um, with my jobs and such, I've just been able to use my vacation time, work well with my with my upper level management people, just to make sure I get my work done, and they let me go. So it's been good. Yeah, it's practice cool. is the toughest, just because I like to have practice. You know, during the afternoon hours and. <laughs> you'd have to leave work quite often but yeah it's always no, worked out and but it always it, it's a big deal for your kids too i'm sure you know that since your dad was was uh with you my dad was a coach for me through little league and some of my very most vivid memories as a you know 10 11 12 year old kid is my dad doing things um doing things with the team and doing things with me and just you know that that whole feeling is uh, I admire what you're doing there. I think that's fantastic with you and your kids that way. Yeah, it's it's actually been a great experience. I mean, there's some times where I think my kids and even I feel like, man, it'd be great if I could, you know, have a, another dad take over and, and do this. And I've been able to do that on occasion just because of how things have worked out. Um, but in it, mostly I think it's because my boys, they know that they have to earn everything they get to play. I, I'm not one where just because you're my kid, you're going to play short and bat third and most of the time, I think I make it harder on them. I put them in positions that are probably not what they deserve just because I don't want to be that coach, that, you know, that dad coach who favors their kid. So yes, <laughs> I, I, they, I, com- I completely get that. My, one yeah. of my other, one of my, one of my fondest, if this, I don't know whether this is a good fond memory or not, 
I was I was actually in Little League throwing a no-hitter for three innings, and my dad pulled me because he said, <laughs> we have a rule in our team that you never, never pitch more than three innings. I'm going, Dad, i got a no-hitter. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> he says, no, we are not going to, you know, he actually took me behind the dugout and says, I am not going to do something special for you. <laughs> yeah, but that's not how baseball works. No, no, no. No, I would agree with your dad, man. That's exactly I do right. Too. That's, yeah. Looking back on it, I agree with him, but at the time, I was not a very happy camper. <laughs> well, that's nice to hear because I know there's a lot of times my boys have not been happy campers with how I've, I've treated them. So, but and there you go. It's got to be fair. It's got to be right. Let me uh, turn the turn the corner just a little bit uh, with between sports and family time and so forth. You are like the league's poet laureate. Um, tell me about that. How did how did you get into into your form of writing and and just why did it come about? It's actually I think it's kind of hilarious that that's uh, that's how you present it only because. Um, actually, through high school and in the in the college, I. I never wrote anything. I actually hardly read anything, to be honest with you. It was just, I just had no interest. It wasn't even on my radar to write. Um, I ended up landing a job at the sports desk at our local paper, the Bismarck Tribune. And just because they knew me from (laughs) playing, I guess, I got the job there. And then one of the guys, um, his name is Scooter Persley, which means nothing to anybody but me. Um, He must have saw something and or, or liked me, and he... We had the state A basketball uh, tournament in town, um, which is our top level basketball in North Dakota. And he had me cover. He just said, hey, Doug, you're going to go cover these games or the consolation bracket games. So they're not as big of a deal. Um, But I'm going to have you go and cover these and you need to write a story. And I was just like, I had never I honestly I I skimped by all the way through in English classes and everything. And I went there and I. It actually was kind of fun, and then he had me keep writing, and I ended up getting an internship at the paper there and wrote a lot for the sports and the business sections and ended up um, going to a different college the next year and decided to take some creative writing courses, and it just kind of fell from there where I just kind of like um, – and actually, like Schroeder always says, you know, like the very shoeless – hashtag it's it's actually just kind of it's just kind of fun for me and that's what i've always decided like i like writing things that are i don't know different i guess and it kind of goes from there and the poetry thing where i started that with in the the brewster actually was a kind of a time where i was uh well how will we we i'll reverse a little bit when you said i took over for ted schmidt um the legendary ted and the legendary ted schmidt yeah um and the, the, it was kind of actually, because when I joined the league, obviously I was really new to OOTP. I'd really only been playing it for about three months. Um, I loved it, and I had you know, actually never played an online version of any game before. Um, and I was on the, I think I even posted on like Reddit that I was just, I was getting bored with playing solo games. I, like I wanted to more of a challenge like i like games that beat the crap out of me and i was just otp just wasn't as challenging on solo level not that i'm a a baseball solo god or anything but it was just i wanted like a challenge where i'd get chewed up and so anyway when i when i joined the brewster and realizing how amazing some of the guys here like yourself and and matt who are you know they're beta testers and reading you know ted's things and some of the other guys, it was, I was just kind of blown away that 
you know, what was happening. And here I was a part of it. And it just felt really odd to me that, you know, I felt like I had suckered you guys or, you know, tricked you guys into letting <laughs> me in the league, to be honest. Um, but, you know, I, honestly, when I came in and I, I followed Ted's, uh, he had his, uh, you know, how to keep like his, uh, I for, I'm forgetting it now, but the sustainable winning is, I right. think, what it was, that whole thing. And I, I was just following that. And I was kind of eating it all up because I was just trying my personality is I just want to learn and learn and learn. And I get a little OCD with trying to figure stuff out. Oh, sure. Not nearly with the spreadsheets and stuff. Cause, but just, just trying to understand like how, how to best play the game. And so I followed his and all of a sudden with everything went down and all of a sudden Matt was, you know, asking me if I was ready to be a GM and for California. And it was, I felt really odd, you know, when I did that, um, especially taking over for Ted, because I was, I felt like here, you have a guy who's a tremendous GM. He's built this amazing team. Even with my lack of experience in the game, I could tell like financially it was set up, you know, beautifully for me. They had a, you know, it was set up the way the team was set up, the way the ballpark was set up. You know, I just felt. Yeah, you man, can get like, a you can get a real feel for the way um, a baseball GM person here in OOTP thinks merely by taking a scan of their finances and a scan of their minors. And, and Ted obviously was, uh, uh, and still is, uh, Ted will always be a, um, a remarkable individual when it comes to how to implement his vision of what he's trying to accomplish, right? Yeah. Before it's all yeah. And done. Yeah, absolutely. It all felt really clean, you know, coming in. The, the organization felt I mean, I'm using the word clean in my own term probably, but just it all felt like the, like you said, there was a reason behind everything he did. There was a reason why the team was successful like it was, um, and both financially and, you know, how it played on the field. And I just, I, I just felt awkward taking over the team um, and knowing my personality was nothing at all like Ted's, which is probably what was more of a obvious it was just a problem for me more than anyone else. Well, I think <laughs> the, one of the great things about this league is that there are so many personalities and every personality has a different frame of reference. And so from the outside looking in, it seemed to me like your big challenge was how do you get comfortable within the confines of the Crusaders as they are defined now and how do you make them become yours, right, over time? Yeah, that's that's 100% true, because I think when I jumped in, you know, the big thing was with the contracts for for uh, Gracia and uh, Ramos. And I was just I wanted to get that out of the way, even if I screwed it up as quickly as possible. Um, and I, I I'm, like I said, I'm probably reading more into it than there was with that. But I just I felt like those two things were just a huge sticking point. And if I just didn't deal with them, I'd be sitting there having that kind of uh, being analyzed for a long time. So I, yeah. no, I sure I wish I on there. I think those, that was the ultimate question that Ted was probably facing in his own mind is um, it's time. It was, it was time to make a decision. You either needed to commit down that path or blow it up and go a different path. Right. And I, what I heard, what I saw you do is you looked at it and said, I'm going to commit down this path to these pitchers and we'll find out what happens. It's a that was a high risk time period in my mind because if if those pitchers had not aged well, you were hosed. 
<laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, especially with uh, with uh, Gracia, because he was, you know, he was definitely older than Ramos was. Um, actually, now looking back with how good he's pitched, I feel like his contract was, I don't want to call it a steal, because it was still in that $14, 15000000 million per year range, but mm-hmm. he's pitched fantastic. So his, which I originally was kind of sick about feeling that, oh man, I should have, I should have traded him or I should have given him a smaller contract or a team option sooner or even a player option. But looking back, I'm sure glad the Ramos contract is one that probably I, I, I obviously I, I think that's a big mistake. I think it's pretty clear. It was just too much money for him, even though he's solid. Um, it just, it, it kind of hamstrung. It kind of binds me a little bit more than I wanted to be, but yeah. that's okay. I mean, I, I made the decision. I'm living with it. I've been able to deal with it and still be somewhat successful. So yeah, it's been okay. I, I think that's one of the main things that you that you see in anyone who stays around for more than a season or two here, right? Is you can make a mistake and you learn from the mistake. In in the Ramos case, it's not really a totally a mistake. It's just something you have to deal with, and you're figuring yeah. out how to deal with it, right? Yeah, and as long as he, done. yeah, and as long as he continues to contribute, even you know decently, I, you know, I'm fine. I still have, I think, two or three more. I think three more years with him to make sure he contributes. But even if I have to throw him in the bullpen, he'll be a fantastic, you know, bullpen arm. So yeah, it'll be fine. It, be it's very just expensive a, bullpen arm. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I I did it. I'm not. I don't regret it. And and I actually like you know even coming in with with um, Ted's franchise. It was. Um, or even with California in particular, they have a lot of guys that played for California for a long time, and I really like that portion. Oh, yeah. You know, I I know I've written about it or even talked about it. I think on my own podcast, just about like Dale Murphy and seeing him in a Philadelphia Phillies uniform kind of killed me as a boy, and it kind of it kind of you know pulled back the curtain on the Wizard of Oz and made things you know not as not as magical. So yeah. Um, the, the, the modern day world of free agency is obviously much nicer for the players and uh, the, especially the guys who actually make a career. They don't get screwed as much as they used to when I was a kid. But I yep. will admit that it it uh, it was nice as a eight, nine, ten, twelve year old kid to basically know who all the guys were going to be on your team all the time. <laughs> yeah, and we're and we're seeing that right now with Omaha with with Justin and Morales. Like, yeah. I love that he wants to keep him, and he, you know, he's obviously gonna he knows he's gonna overpay for what he's gonna be in the next several years, but he just wants that that storyline that con- continuity, and I think that's what makes the BBA special compared to, you know, I, I really can't even say compared to a lot of other leagues because I really haven't been a part of more other leagues for very long at all either. But I just think that's what's neat is you have that long time storyline. And for me, Gracia is one I'm sure I'm going to overpay him because he's going to retire as a crusader. I say that now anyway, but I can't imagine having him go somewhere else. So I'll figure out a way to make it work with him. I I think that, that uh, having been in several on leagues, the uh, idea that, that a uh, general manager becomes loyal to their players. Um, in any good league, you have at least some numbers of GMs who are kind of like that before it's all said and done. I think the thing that really makes this league different to me in that sense is um, um, is related to the writing aspect of it. Because when you're writing about your players, you get closer to them and um, the, the mirror... 
the flavor of loyalty here is is very different than uh, most of the other leagues that I've been in, in in that sense just kind of riffing off of your of your thoughts there do you feel Next. like California is yours now yeah do I do like actually with stamp on them yeah and I, it, it's funny because you know where I was going with my long story about Ted and all that it was actually you know I I kind of wasn't having fun because I was trying to be Ted's California Crusaders and and I'll, I'll be honest with you if it wasn't for, you know if it wasn't for Vic uh, and Vic in Chicago I probably wouldn't be in the league anymore Vic kind of talked me through some things about you know and I I I I hate to speak for Vic and I hate to comment on some of our conversations but you know you know he came in also after a GM a longtime GM had uh, um, and so he went through a lot of the very, very similar things that I did. And it is tougher, I think. And it's silly because it's fake baseball, you know, but it, it is, it's just tougher coming in after a guy who's kind of a, you know, a longtime GM, like you were just saying, these guys that have a lot of ownership to their team and to the league. And then they, they kind of leave in, you know, not the greatest of terms. And you're just a newbie jumping in. And, you know, Vic kind of talked me through about just, Let's just have fun. Like let's let's enjoy this. It's supposed to be fun. And really when yeah, when he talked me through that and we kinda you can definitely see it from, you know, Vic's writing is just I love it. I mean I think he him and his participation and um I think it just adds so much to the league and and to me personally it just adds so much to my enjoyment of the league. Um, and seeing that and not just Vic, I mean there's other guys, you in particular too, that I enjoy how you immerse yourself and build the world around us. But um, going through that and having him just say, Doug, just have fun, be yourself. That's where that, you know, the David Simpson's horrible poetry came about. Cause I just wanted to I actually, that started because it was a point where I'm like, what would be the exact opposite thing that Ted would do? And I don't know Ted. I mean, I've never really spoken to him, you know, personally, I, I just read what I was just like, what, what would he definitely not do? And I'm like poetry, and I'm not really <laughs> never really wrote poetry before, ever. And I just oh, thought, God, this would be. Oh, I just think it's fun, you know. It, it's actually like sometimes I write, and I'm like, oh my God, that's so stupid. And it's, I think, oh, it's gonna be so great in here, though. And I just write it down. But I did, that's what made it fun for me. And then thinking about how I have this fantastic bas- baseball player in our league, you know, David Simpson, who. I'm just going to toot his horn here. He's having a fantastic start to the season, which is kind of carrying us right now, which is great to see. But having this guy who's a legend in our in the right now in the league anyway, having him write poetry just it it makes me giggle inside, and it's made it a lot of fun. So that's why kind of where that started. So yeah, well, that's cool. Well, you mentioned David Simpson and starting off with a solid year so far. What do you see? Uh, how do you see California? Uh, working out this year, what are your plans? Are things, um, where do you see your holes? Are you expecting to, uh, to be able to prevail again in the weaker Pacific division or (laughs) (laughs) how's that for a leading question? I'm just going (laughs) to pretend I didn't hear that last part. No, uh, I think for me, and it's really no secret It all, it all starts with my starting pitching. Um, I'm lucky enough to have, you know, remnants of, of the guys that Ted brought in, um, still having Gracia Ramos, like I mentioned, Cisco Morales 
has been fantastic. Um, and he was actually, I thought, always good, but he was just extremely undervalued because of the way the ballpark was set up, you know, being a righty and having it just so lefty heavy or just just the ballpark set up for lefty hitters. Uh, I knew Morales was probably better than he was. And once I changed the ballpark around, he's, you know, I think he's living up to just being that solid number three starter, which he is. Um, and then uh, having Danny Garcia ready to go and him up, I, I'm just excited about him. And then I kind of throw in Nick Pierce, who I just like because he's a big ground baller and I can throw it an infield that, you know, can go and get it. So uh, it's all about my starters. My lineup, I think, is fine. It's solid. I, I lack a lot of power, but it's the kind of team I like to run. I like I like I like a lot of action on the field. You know, mm-hmm. I don't I don't always care if it's home runs. I I like guys running around the bases, and that's kind of how I built my team. But truly, my my hole is uh, my bullpen, and I'm just every time I look at it, it kind of just man, I got just a bunch of guys that just have these, you know. These rubber arms I'm just throwing out there. I'm just hoping. And even this year, the, the games I've lost have mostly been because of the bullpen yeah. bullpen arms. So that that's just my huge hole. And, you know, I I have tried to, in the last draft specifically, I tried to focus hard on, on getting some of those, you know, bullpen arms that can work their way up and be some gems for me. But I'm really just lacking there outside of Vitaly. Um, I'm hurting. So, but so that that I think is going to hurt me again in the playoffs. I I hope I don't not just uh I hope I make the playoffs for one, but I hope I just make it into the second round this year because it's been three years of getting you know scooted out after that first round. So Hopefully it's not been fun. Far less painful to go <laughs> the first round and just have it done with. Ah, no way! Come on. <laughs> It's just a terrible story when you just you know your story at least is fun now and it's it's that enjoyable is, and I it's enjoyable I, it's, for it, at least thirty one GMs. Oh, of course, but it adds so much. <laughs> it again, it just adds so much to the whole the world of the, our league, you know. And you're gonna win one. It's fairly obvious you're gonna win one. But uh, yeah, I just I just want to get past that first round. That's my goal this year. So I just don't think I have the bullpen depth to go much farther than that. So you talked about the kind of your team is. Um speed and movement and balls in play and so forth. What do you, you know, you've got Gracia and Morales are getting on the older side. You already talked about Ramos is kind of um, on the edge of needing to go into the pen. Uh, As you look forward into what California is going to look like in 2045 and six and so forth, what are your, um, what are your thoughts? Are, are you even thinking that far out? Yeah, I am. I've been I've been looking and kind of sweating it out a little bit because I need to milk these starters for as long as they can go right now. Because just like everyone else, it's 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 just a pitcher poor league right now, and there's not a ton coming up through the works. So it's not like you can put a package together and get a good arm um, working up the ranks. But I, I really am looking for. You know, I just want consistency out of my starters, and I think that's what's going to become really valuable in the next once this, you know, there's going to be good guys like Wool and Weber and those guys that are just fantastic, but you just need guys that are going to get out there and not lose games for you. And that's kind of what I'm trying to find right now because, and I think with that, um, I, I, I just, you know, it's like we talked about, I like guys that can move the ball around when they're hitting, and I like gap hitters, and I like guys, I don't like, you know, I think 
part of it for me is you can look at a lot of my philosophy by who I want as catch, uh, who I put as catcher the last couple of years because I traded you for for Saito, and he's a he's not the greatest on base guy, but he's he's a good hitter. Like he's gonna he's he should hit close to two ninety, I would say two ninety five, with an on base percentage around three twenty three thirty. But I chose him over like Hedy Veenman and Chip Saunders, who probably are gonna hit. You know, like Hetty would hit probably around, you know, 220, 230 and have that same 330, 340 on base percentage. And I just think it's so much more valuable to have guys that are going to get base hits or get, you know, hit doubles if we're our on base percentages within 15, 20 points of each other. I'd rather have a guy, you know, with 70 points higher on their on their batting average. Sure. So that's kind of what I'm going because and it's no joke when I said like in some of my team news that I just want to have a team that kind of constantly is putting pressure on your, your team. And I don't want to have holes anywhere. Like I want guys that have speed. I want guys that are going to get on base. I want, I want the defense to constantly feel pressure. And that's the kind of team I'm trying to build. Yeah. Without any doubt. And I've put up a, a post a time or two on that kind of a team, that steady pressure, um, on base movement team, you know, if you get a if you get a team that's filled with guys who just find ways to get on base, you score a lot of runs just by rote. <laughs> right? <laughs> right, exactly. Once you get a guy to second, anything can happen. So, and uh, Saito in particular is I'm I like paying attention to him because he fits the mold of catchers that I like and that they uh, he can contribute offensively. And one of the things that I notice about your teams is they're also defensively minded, right? Uh, Saito's going to grow into be one of the better catchers in the league defensively. He's just young right now. Um, but you look at his ratings, ability and arm rating, and his overall growth path, he's probably going to wind up being an 8 or 9 overall ranking of catcher, which those things don't actually make any difference, but they're interesting, <laughs> right? Right, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And actually, he's been a pleasant surprise. Even like the Zimmer he won last year was a really pleasant surprise for mm -hmm. him. But again, it just goes back. Like, I don't want to lose games for certain reasons. You know what I mean? I, I don't want to I don't want to give up anything, which is why I like these guys that are have some defensive minded to them, which yeah. so if there's the defensive one part actually in your mindset, is that? Oh, yeah, by, absolutely. By uh, by design rather than by. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it's it's a hundred percent. I mean, I'm not to the point where I would give up a ton of offense for a defensive guy, but it you know when you have like David Simpson, for instance, I'll just use him as an example. The reason why I've kind of floated him out there as trade bait and all that is I either need to decide that he's going to be my DH, um, which I I did have him kind of playing there a lot this year. Um, the reason I moved him there is I just don't like having mediocre fielders out there. I feel like I'm giving something up. Like I'm allowing, just because of the lack of defensive athleticism, I'm giving up runs. I'm giving up hits here and there. I, I just don't like that. I'm going to beat you because I, I can beat you by, you know, you are having to earn it. I don't mind losing if you earn it, but I don't like losing because my, my guy's a chump out there. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, let me... Uh... 
let me kind of bring this to a head, and I'm going to put you in this in this corner and shine the bright light on your <laughs> on your eyes and give you this lightning round uh, approach that I'm sure that you've you've heard some of the other lightning rounds. They're just really brisk and sharp and hard to deal with, and no no meandering or anything. Um, but let me start with saying uh, favorite crusader. Well, it was Joe Lacey, but uh, he's no longer with the Crusaders anymore. Um, so probably my favorite Crusader right now. I still like Quaint Curris just because, or I don't know, the Greek freak. I, I just like what he brings to the ballpark. It's fun. He's an exciting guy to watch. He's fun to have at the top of the order. And then right behind him is Gracia. How can I not say Gracia? So. Uh, we are in the middle of the... 2042 draft. We've had a little bit of conversation on the Slack channel, but not everyone's on Slack. Talk to me about your draft approach and why do you do it that way? Um, well, my draft approach is I, I I hate to say that I'm a system guy because I really don't have a clear system. Well, I kind of have tried to probably talk a little about that today. I could probably just listen to this and I can probably hear my system, but. I, I guess for me, the draft is a, a really fun and exciting time. Uh, it, it's it's one of my favorite parts of it. And I like to find guys that, you know, have an elite skill or a, and something something that's going to make them um, different and, and amazing down the road. It's tough for me just to get a guy where I'm going to be like, okay, he's going to be a, a number four or five starter or, hey, this guy's going to be a platoon bat here and there. He's going to contribute I don't know. For me, I like to try to find somebody who's a little more exciting, which is why I probably drafted a couple awkward guys last year. But it's fun. It adds to the story of it. So, so you're kind of a unique guy. You're looking for somebody who has something out off the beaten path. Yeah. And I, yeah. And obviously, he's got to be athletic. I mean, I, that goes without saying. I want a guy who can play defense. I, I like guys who are a little quicker but also just have something about them that's a little you know, different. And power is not a big thing for me, so sometimes you can find guys that have different unique skill sets. How do, you manage uh, your, how do you manage your rotation? Seven-day lineups and mix and match, or do you just kind of slot and dash? I would actually never even knew that the seven-day lineup tab was there until I, I took over the Crusaders, and Ted kind of left me a nice little... Uh, uh, I hate to say tutorial, but just kind of a little tips. And he said to use the seven day and I started using them. I absolutely love the seven day lineups. I, it's actually, <laughs> it's not really that frustrating, but when a guy, you know, changes a pitcher out and I can see that, oh crap, he pitched this guy. So now I'm going to my default lineup, which is fine. But I, I just love, cause when I go seven day, I can say, okay, I'm going to give this guy playing time here. I'm going to, I'm going to put this guy in now because, you know, I think he'll do better against this against this pitcher or I have this pitcher throwing so I want a better defense against this team so I love being able to have that control and then you know when guys switch things up and I'm sure everybody I play now is going to switch their, their pitching lineups up so I'm totally screwed but I don't know that that's part of the fun for me is to make up those lineups and I think that's just the coach in me how will you celebrate your first Landis <laughs> I'm going to go buy three bottles of wine for my wife to drink and the people on slack will probably understand that We'll we'll just leave it lay right there. <laughs> but I but I completely understand. Uh, favorite strategy that nobody else knows about. Favorite strategy. That's a good this is question. The question. This is the final land uh, lightning round question. Hmm. And uh, and so it needs to be 
an extremely important strategy that no one else knows about and that I can edit out so that only I learn it. Sure. So really, uh, here's actually a question I was going to ask you, so I'll just go in. And it's not a strategy I have yet, but it goes – I think it's because I've lost three straight first round of playoffs. And I'm really trying to figure out – and it was actually something I asked Mike from Madison because he was doing, you know, his things. And I'm just like, I want to know the, you know, take my catchers um, thing again with like Hedy Veenman and Saito. How, you know, they might have the same on base percentage during the regular season, but I would just have to think that Saito is going to be better in the playoffs because you're going to face better pitching. You're going to facing better teams with better defense. Typically, you're going to face better teams, so you're not going to get those extra walks. You're not going to get those cheap little base hits as much. I, I, and I'm just thinking my strategy would be I want to build a team that's just good enough to get in the playoffs but then is built to win in the playoffs. And I think I'm tra- still trying to figure that out, Ron. So I really don't have a strategy. I just have a, an idea of where I want to go. Well, I think that um, that sounds like a spectacularly good strategy before it's all said and done. Build a team that will win. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, everyone. You're welcome. You, you heard it here straight from Chulos's mouth. <laughs> Build a team that will win, and yep. things will go really well. It's amazing. I have. Uh, I I love that. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> uh, what I think that what I, what I react to the most there is that when you get to the playoffs, you're not playing uh, a bunch of schlunky teams, right? Before it's all yeah. said and done. So, um, you know, I think there's two different frames of thought. I mean, if you can. By all means, if you can load up on nothing but superstars, then obviously that's a big, <laughs> that, that's a great strategy. But I think the big question there is holes, right? If you have a big hole in a, um, I like your uh, conversation about drafting people who have an elite skill set someplace, right? Something they can yep. do really well, um, because over the season that may or may not. Um, be dominant in some place or another, but if you can get down to the point where you're at in the playoffs with one or two games, or you know, you, um, in, in a short series, if you can match up a strength against somebody else's weakness, then that's a, a pretty big deal. So, in order to do that, you have to have some guys that have some elite strengths and some elite capabilities. Yeah, um, yeah. and even more importantly, not have holes. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's where I, I mean, exactly right. Because when you're in the playoffs, you're, you might just be facing the top three starters from one of the top teams. And those three starters are all going to be quite good. And you can have guys that are, you know, as far as I'm concerned, like four contact guys, um, even if they have strengths, otherwise they're just going to be that huge hole in that lineup. And, you know, I think you could just get taken advantage of that way, but who am I to say I haven't won anything yet. Yeah, that's. I was just gonna. You're you're stealing my words. <laughs> I'm pontificating yeah. like I know how to build a playoff team, and I don't have any Landis's. So <laughs> all I can say so, is that Tyler is wearing at least two of my Landis rings, and yeah, that's so, annoying. So do the opposite of what Ron and I say, then you'll win everything. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, you uh, you mentioned earlier this question to ask me. Uh, this is where I will traditionally just kind of turn the questioning over and if you have anything you would like me to talk about or pretend like I know what I'm talking about, I'd be happy to do my best. All right. Well, since uh, I do have a question, I, I, and you know, I'm a, I'm really like, I like the color. I'm not a huge 
well, I pretend I'm not a huge stats guy and all that, but I really like the color. I like the story, I like the world building. So my question for you, Ron, is if you just take out everything, every option that's part of like the game code. So anything outside of the game code about how OTP, like, you know, puts out the outcomes of pitches and plays and games and hitters outside of all that. So outside of the actual baseball game. Mm-hmm. What do you feel could be added to the game that would increase like the immersion factor or the world building of the game itself? Oh, um, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go, uh, I'll go full bore on this and say nothing. Um, because at the end of the day, there's enough here that if I just, if I turn all that off and I just go to my raw, fiction writer's imagination and play the game of baseball and just, you know, screw all these other questions, right? Before it's all said and done. Um, this is a, is brilliant. This is a fantastic game. It's got players with personalities and managers and coaches. And I guess if you wanted to, you could say, you know, please add me in an umpire or two so I can bitch at them or something like that. Um, but I can do that all on my own. Um, right, right. You know, the game has so many weird esoteric plays built into it. So if you're scanning through game logs, you'll come across, you know, I mean, uh, Chris's Edmonton won the Dank Landis on hidden ball trick. How can you get any more baseball than that, right, before it's all said and done? Um, The thing that I love the most about this, um, this league, not OOTP, but the thing that I love the most about this league is that you can go back in history and see the way that all of the GMs, even those who don't write the most or the most uh, prolifically or whatnot, um, you know, they can bring their own flavor of what baseball means inside their head. I'd almost like, I mean, I love face gen and things like that. I don't need it. Um, I, I see everything inside my head, right? I mean... I, it's just the most, um, the game is set up to be brilliant from the GM's point of view and to allow you to bring your own imagination into everything about the aspect of what baseball is, right? And the stats lines are close enough to real life baseball, the things that happen make practical sense. The career paths that happen, you know, some guys fall off at 27 and another guy goes to 32 and then you get Dusty Rhodes who may still be hitting 150 singles a year when he's 47, you know, who knows? Um, I mean, that's, there's, the, the game doesn't need anything else in it at all in order to be, uh, in order to just turn everything off and have great fun playing baseball, in my opinion. Yeah, I actually 100% agree. I really like your answer and even harping back where you said even with face gen, like, I agree. I think that's, you can go through every BB or every GM in our league and you can see how baseball plays out in their head. And you don't need those, that extra little extra, you know, razzle dazzle to, to have those storylines. And it's just like anything else. The book's always better than the movie because you play that you play that movie in your own head with the book and that's what happens with BBA. Yeah. And And, and I just love the, you know, the thing they put on for uh, the seven for seventies 
where I went back, I actually spent about a half a day going back and rereading all the posts from all the GMs that had come before me. And it was just a great deal of fun to to see the differences in the way they went about things and in the way they brought their own imagination into this. I, I consider this world to be kind of like a comic book world, right? Sure. Um because the game isn't exactly like completely like real life and the players don't always do the things that you'd think that a real life player ought to do and you can get into finances and what they ask for and what they're not asking for and who gets to sign Lucas McNeil for a million dollars next year and all this other good stuff. But if you make a comic book uh, world, you can just see everything uh, play out in, in, um, in ways that are just unpredictable and fun and in ways that allow... Uh, me to interact with you guys in such a way you know you talk about solo play I played solo for about six months or a year way back when I first found OTP and I just found it to be uh, quaintly fun for the first about three months and then it got dry and boring because first off I can beat the computer all the time so it doesn't really it's not much fun (laughs) (laughs) Um, but then I found online leagues with people and first off, it's very hard to beat people. It's pretty easy to beat the code. It's very, very hard yep. to beat people. And then second off, even more important about this online league uh, thing, and the Brewster has it a, a gazillion times <laughs> over, is uh, the personality of the GMs just come come flying through because we are so passionate. The the things that we struggle with sometimes are because we're, we're, um, we talk past each other and we get angry sometimes because you know our plans didn't work out, and my and somebody else got a special deal, and you know, but that that's, that's not true. We just think it in the time, you know, because we're trying to win. Right. <laughs> uh, no, anyway, I, that's my yeah long-winded pontification on that. Well, I actually love that the 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 comic book, uh, you know, the comic book world, and we're kind of living in it because in in that aspect, and maybe to tie things up a little bit you know coming in after ted schmidt i think maybe with my my uh idiotic type writing and my poetry i might be the perfect type of gm to gm to follow him in that comic book world so in that aspect i'm I'm probably the right guy here right time to take over the california crusaders i think that is an absolutely perfect way to leave our way out of this so i appreciate (laughs) it You're welcome. <laughs> well, Thanks for we'll having me this on. again when, uh, sometime here. I, I need to get off my duff and do more of these. Uh, thank you so much for your time here today, Doug, and uh, good luck through 2042, and uh, hope that we uh, can meet in the Cartwright, maybe. Yeah, because then you'll know I'll lose. Thanks a lot, Ron. No, thanks, no, <laughs> no, thanks for, no, thanks no, for no, having me. Every yeah. fan base in the world is happy to see Yellow Springs on their, <laughs> on their playoff agenda. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. The Brewster Baseball Association is an out-of-the-park baseball league commissioned by Mr. America himself, Matt Rechtenwald, and competed in by an amazing group of outstanding general managers. Check us out at MontyBrewster.net. You have been listening to The GM's Corner, a podcast where we put BBA GMs on the hot seat. Music is Cool Piano by Tigerius and is used under Creative Commons Attribution License. See you next time. Until then, have fun, be safe, 
And always remember that even a boring team news is worth two points.